Hey, if you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to Luke chapter number 2. Luke chapter number 2. The title of my message this morning is Make Room for Him in Your Heart. You know, this message began in prayer. By the way, that's, that's always a good way to start every message, okay? Um, and I felt that the Lord told me to read the Christmas story and that he'd speak to my heart. So I went to Luke chapter number 2, and I began reading the Christmas story as I've done many, many times before. Just as an aside, this has always been a tradition in the Seneca family. From the moment that Hunter and Hayden were born, the, the, before we would do Christmas gifts, I would read them the Christmas story. Now, I've got to tell you, it's gotten a lot easier as they've gotten older. Sister Annalee, there were times that I had a two-year-old on one leg and a, and a six-month-old in a headlock that would be Hayden, and I was trying to read the Christmas story, okay? And, and, uh, and then as they got a little older, Jennifer, they started asking questions like, who's Cyrenius, and who's this person, and ooh, a manger, and animals, and... But needless to say, we kept the tradition going, and, and, um, and it's just a great reminder because, you know, during the Christmas season, Christmas becomes a, about a lot of different things, okay? It becomes about family, and that's important. It becomes about food, that's important too. It, it, it becomes about a whole bunch of different things, but sometimes we forget that it's really all about Jesus. And that's why we read the Christmas story. Before we start opening gifts, Mario, before we start doing all the different things we do at Christmas time, Sister Garland, we just always wanted to remind our kids what it was really all about. So I would read the Christmas story. And by the way, if you're looking for a tradition to start with your family, that ain't a bad one at all. But So I started reading the Christmas story, and, uh, and I came to uh, verse number 7. So let's read it together. And, uh, and just see what, what we can look at. So Luke chapter number 2, starting with verse number 1 in the King James Version, it says this. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, of course, the Christmas story goes on for a few more verses, but I'm going to stop right there because... That's the part that, that the Lord really kind of focused me on. Verse number 7. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. You see, in this story of Jesus' birth, verse 7 states that there was no room for Jesus and his family in the inn or the lodging place or the place that they were looking to stay in. Because of that, the Son of God was born in a stable and laid in a manger, which was basically just the old feeding trough. This picture of Christ's birth or nativity is symbolic in so many ways, such as his humility to leave heaven and all of its glory to come to earth and be born in a stable. Think for a moment with me about the humility of, of Jesus himself. I, I, read this, um, I read this little devotion that I wanted to share with you talking about the humility of the Lord, and it says this. You know, it's really hard to imagine more humble circumstances than those surrounding the birth of Jesus. Max Licato paints this picture. The stable stunk. 
The ground was hard. The hay was scarce. Cobwebs cling to the ceiling and a mouse scurries across the floor. Mary looks into the face of her son, her Lord, his majesty. At this point, the human being who best understands who God is and what he's doing is a teenage girl in a stinky stable. She remembers the angel's words, his kingdom will never end. Majesty in the midst of the mundane, holiness in the filth of manure and sweat, divinity entering the world on the floor of a stable. This baby had once overlooked the universe. His robes of eternity were exchanged for the rags that were now keeping him warm. His golden throne room abandoned in favor of a dirty sheep pen. Worshiping angels replaced with shepherds. Meanwhile, the city hums, unaware that God has visited the planet. The innkeeper would never believe he just sent God into the cold, and people would scoff at anyone who told them the Messiah lay in the arms of a teenager on the outskirts of their village, Bethlehem. They were all too busy to consider that possibility. But those who missed his majesty's, majesty's arrival that night missed it because of the evil act, well, not, did not miss it because of evil acts or malice. No, they missed it because they weren't looking for him. Little has changed in 2,000 years. The Bible says that unto them that look for him shall, shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. This Christmas, let's not forget to look for him. But consider the, 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 the stable picture. Consider how, how, uh, how, how humble a setting. In addition, his first introduction to humanity other than Joseph and Mary was to the most common of people, shepherds. Uh, history tells us this about shepherds. The shepherds were so, had so little status in the first century that they, couldn't even, they weren't even reliable enough to testify in court. Let that sink in, Sister Josie. They couldn't even be witnesses in court. You couldn't trust a shepherd. You just couldn't. You ever met anybody in business you couldn't trust? Okay, that were these guys, these shepherds. You couldn't even trust them. But that's who God introduced himself to. Yet God chose them to introduce his son's arrival. And they, in turn, went out and told the world. How amazing is that? Luke records, when they had seen him, they spread the word. Here's your answer to, could God use someone like me? Well, if God could use shepherds, he can certainly use you and me. Amen? So that's what's going on right here at Jesus' nativity. But the main point that God spoke to my heart, that was in the same way there was no room for Jesus in the end, there are so many men and women today who choose to make no room for Jesus in their hearts and lives. How very tragic. This Christmas season, let's make more than enough room for him in our hearts and our lives and get ready to see some pretty amazing things happen. Because friends, his presence changes everything. His presence changes everything. God's presence in my life, in my heart, changed everything about me. God's presence in your heart, Fabian, changed everything about you. The same for you, Pastor Ronnie. The same to be said for every one of us in here. So this Christmas season, with everything going on, with all the things you have to do, let's not forget to make room for him in our hearts. Can we pray? Lord, I just thank you right now for speaking to my heart. And I ask right now, Lord, that you would speak to every one of our 
our, our, our congregation's hearts. Those that are watching via Facebook, open up their heart to receive from you. I ask that over the next several minutes, Lord God, we would do a self-inventory and, and make sure that, God, you have more than enough room in our hearts and our lives. God, if there are some changes we need to make, give us the courage to make those changes. If there are some things you want to adjust, Lord, make those adjustments. Whatever needs to be done, Lord, do it in our lives, Lord, because this Christmas season... We want to look for you. We want to make room for you. We want to draw closer to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, and everybody would say, Amen and Amen. So the question is, why do people today choose to not make room for Jesus in their hearts? Why do people choose not to make room for Jesus in their lives? There's probably many answers, but I'm just going to choose three of them this morning. The first one that I believe the Lord spoke to my heart is a pretty simple one. Our wants and desires simply aren't that godly. You know, I can still remember a time in my life when my problem wasn't that I didn't know right from wrong. I just didn't want to do right. Can anybody remember that? How about that with your kids, okay? You know, there were times growing up mostly with that youngest son of ours. He knew what the rules were. He just didn't want to follow them. Okay, And there were even times, Grace, he would say, so who's going to spank me? Because if mama was going to spank him, it was probably worth doing the crime. Okay, But if dad was going to spank him, he needed more information. He would even ask, which belt are you going to use? Okay, Because, see, I had multiple belts. I had the regular leather one. By the way, some of you are like, you spanked your children. Yes, I did, and they did not die. Okay? In fact, the Bible says that child will not die. Okay? It'll be all right. It's okay. There's a direct correlation from their rear to their mind. Okay? And when that rear is activated, something goes off in their mind and they listen. Okay? By the way, Hayden's even listening right now. Okay? So, um, so every now and then he would say, okay, um, so, so who's going to spank me? How many licks? Which belt? He wanted to get all the facts straight. Okay? But, um, but how many remember there was a time in your life You didn't know. Ronnie, your problem was never, I don't know what's right. I don't know what's wrong. You just didn't want to do right. We've all been there before. Our kids are there before. There's even times you've been there before. You're in traffic and somebody cuts you off. And and, and you know the right thing to do is just bless them. Lord, it's okay. But sometimes, Tracy, just something happens and you start shaking your fist or you tell them they're number one or... Don't do that. Okay, especially if you don't, especially if you have an LCC sticker on the back of your car. Okay, look, if you have one of my church stickers on your car, behave the way you drive, okay? There's nothing worse than you have a sign that says, follow me to, follow me to Sunday school, follow me to church, and you're acting a fool. Don't do that, okay? But here's the deal. Our problem sometimes is not that we don't know right from wrong, because God put that in every one of our hearts. Even folks that don't know Jesus, they know right from wrong. They know what you're supposed to do. They know what you're not supposed to do. But sadly, sometimes we just don't want to do right. Sin can be fun. But it's only fun for a short season. Until the the time comes that you realize the wages of sin is death. Sin is very enticing. It's very tempting, okay? James said a little something about temptation. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter number 1. James was telling us a little bit about temptation and how that works. And, you know, it's worth mentioning to all of us that, did you know temptation is not sin? 
The Bible says that Jesus was tempted, okay? And we all know that he was sinless, okay? So the temptation is not the sin. You know, it's that, 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 what you do with that temptation. Do you think about it? Do you consider it? Do you make a good choice or do you give in to it? James gave us some direction on that. So James chapter number 1, beginning with verse 13, he tells us this and he teaches us all about sin and temptation and how it works in our lives. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. Hey guys, God don't tempt us. He he ain't in that business, okay? That's the devil's job. uh, That's the flesh, okay? God doesn't tempt us. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither he tempteth any man. But every man is tempted. Guys, every one of us are tempted. From Brother Bernie, who's the oldest in this room, to whoever's the youngest in this room, we all still deal with temptation. If you're thinking that at a certain age, you'll never be tempted again. Brother Bernie, you haven't got to that age yet. If he hasn't gotten there and he's 90, you're not close either, okay? Temptation is always going to be a part of our lives. Now, temptation changes, okay? There was a time, Fabian, you and I, we were tempted to slug people in the face. We don't do that anymore, okay? Okay? But we're still tempted to say something we shouldn't say, right? We're tempted to think something we shouldn't think. Wait a second, God's worried about what I think? Yes, he is. Because do you realize that every sin starts with a thought? Every action begins with a thought. That's why the Bible tells us to take every thought captive. When a thought comes to our mind, we need to think about it. Pastor Ronnie, is that a good thought? Is that a bad thought? Brother Gary Sapp said it about a year ago. Good thoughts come from God, do them. Bad thoughts come from the devil, don't do them. Pretty simple, huh? Okay? But we have to deal with the thought. We look at the thought. We say, is this something that's good? Is this something that will bless others? Let me deal with it. Okay? Like maybe at offering time, you had the thought, oh, I ought to give $50 to benevolence. I hope you act upon that because that was a thought. That was a good thought. That was a good thing to do. You want to help people. That's what we're supposed to do at the church. Okay? But guys, we have to think about our thoughts. We have to think about temptations. Remember, temptation doesn't come from God. It comes from the evil one. So how do you deal with it? Verse 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and he's enticed. And when lust is first conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good and perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variance, neither shadow of turning. You see, guys, God is a giver of good gifts. It's Christmas season and how many love gifts? I can't wait to see some of the things I'm going to get. Now, I kind of already know, okay? And my wife already knows what she's going to get because she's told me what to get her. (sighs) By the way, wives, help your husbands out a little bit. Give us a list, okay? Give us a few choices, okay? It makes things so much easier. How many husbands would like a list from their wife? Lift your hand, guys. Yeah, thank you. Look look around, ladies. Help a guy out, okay? And guys, listen to the list, okay? Don't go rogue, Ronnie, okay? When Danielle gives you the list, don't go, no, I want to do my own thing. That, that, That would totally mess things up, okay? But God is a giver of good gifts, He doesn't tempt us. He wants to give us a way to overcome. You see, God wants to bless you. God wants to help you. The problem is sometimes we don't ask for his help. Sometimes we think we got this. How's that working for you? So guys, when it comes to temptation, we need to realize that God wants to to help us to do right. 
We need to understand how temptation works. Learn the enemy's tactics so that you will stop falling for them. So that you'll learn to overcome them. You know, so many people don't make room for God in their hearts because they simply don't want to make room for God in their hearts. They're simply not ready to do things God's way. How many in here remember when that described you? Trace, you remember when that described you? I remember when it described me. But when I came to faith in Christ, he changed everything. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's what? A new creature. The old has passed away. Everything, say everything, everything becomes new. I'm so glad that happened in my life. I'm so glad it's happened in your life as well. So this Christmas season... I know I'm not talking to anybody in here about this, but sadly, some people don't make room for God because they simply don't want to. The second thing, now this probably hits a little closer to home for us Christians, we are all selfish people. We are all selfish people. Christian and non-Christian alike all struggle at some level with being selfish. Now, you've heard me say before, I'm an only child. And my wife says, if, if you're around me long enough, you get that figured out. You can tell I'm an only child. I don't understand why, but she says you will, okay? And now, I ask this question all the time. I think Bertina is the only person who's an only child, but any other only children in the house? Come on, anybody else? Wow, I'm, they, yeah, there you go, Caden. I, I knew there was a connection there, bro, okay? Hey, only children are special, okay? I mean, hey... They got it right with you, bro. They don't need another. At least that's what I told my parents, okay? Uh, if you're the youngest, you were like, they kept trying till they got me, and then they got it right, okay? But, um, but hey, we're all selfish people. We all struggle with that. In my 20-plus years of ministry, I've learned, sadly, that people tend to do what people want to do. Have you figured that out? People simply do what they really want to do. Why? Because we are selfish, We want to please ourselves more than we want to please God. We all know a few unselfish people. And don't they just stick out in the crowd? Don't unselfish people just stand out in the crowd? Man, when you see someone who's preferring their brother, when you see somebody who's letting other people out in traffic, when you see somebody who who waves you by, you can go before me in the Walmart checkout line because they only have two registers open and 10,000 people there. Okay, you know, when when somebody is is being unselfish, man, it just stands out, don't it? You know, I think many of us know somebody who's unselfish, and most of the time they answer to the term mom. (laughs) How many have figured out that you moms are some of the most unselfish people around? But even the most unselfish mom I know, and Miss Chantel, you're pretty unselfish because you put up with me, Hunter, and Hayden, and that can be a chore, okay? Even the most unselfish mom every now and then needs some me time, right? Okay? But here's the deal, guys. We all struggle with, un- with selfishness. The most unselfish person I can think of who walked this earth was Jesus Christ himself. God's only son. Consider with me the night before his crucifixion. He is spending some precious few hours with his disciples. And in Luke chapter number 22, we have a picture of what's going on in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
He knows what's coming. He knows he's about to be crucified. He knows that he's about to go through maybe the most difficult, well, absolutely the most difficult time of of his life. This is why he came to earth. This is why Jesus was born. He was born for this moment, so he gets his closest disciples together. We're going to pray together. We're going to strengthen each other. We're going to encourage one another. And let's read about how that went down. Luke chapter number 22, beginning with verse number 39. This is right after the Last Supper, and and we pick up reading in verse 39 of Luke 22, and it says this. And he came out, and he went, as he usually did, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. And he was at the same place. He said unto them, Pray that you not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and he kneeled down, and he prayed. So basically, he's in the garden. He's got his disciples with him. He said, hey, guys, pray with me. And I'm going to go a little, a little further away because I, I think he didn't want his disciples to hear everything he knew was coming. But he said, pray with me. The Lord will help us all. And here's Jesus' prayer in verse 42. He says, Father, if you be willing, remove this cup from me. You see, guys, Jesus knew what was coming. Jesus knew what the price was to to reconcile you and I back to the Father. He knew the heaviness of taking on the sin of this world. He knew what was coming. And he said, Lord, if there's any other way, if you come up with a plan B, now would be a good time to let me in on it. But look at how he finishes that prayer. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Guys, is that just not the epitome of selflessness. Tracy, he knew what was coming. He knew the pain. He knew the agony. He knew what he was about to endure for you, honey. And he said, Lord, she's worth it. Lord, he's worth it. I'm so glad he thought I was worth it. And he gave his life. That is the epitome of selflessness. Now, let's contrast that to his disciples. Remember, what they're supposed to be doing is praying with him. They're supposed to be encouraging their, their, their master. Verse 43, And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven and strengthened him. Guys, there's amazing things happen when you're selfless. Man, when you're selfless, God will help you. Verse 44, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and sweat as it were great drops of blood fell to the ground. Boy, that's some prayer time, huh? Now contrast what Jesus is going through to what the disciples are doing. And when he rose up from prayer and came to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. His friends, his closest disciples, the the cream of the crop, while Jesus is praying tears of uh, or drops of blood, they're catching a cat nap. Now, which one's selfless and which one's selfish? Now, hey, them disciples, they had a long day, but not as long as Jesus. (laughs) I'm sure they had a lot going on, but Jesus had said, boys, can you just pray for a little while? And they couldn't even do it. Jesus said unto them, why sleep ye? Rise up and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Consider the contrast there. We have Jesus who's saying, Lord, if there's any other way, let's do it. But Lord, not my will, not what I want, but what you want. And then he prayed and he was interceding and he knew he was ready to go do what God had called him to do. And he said, hey, disciples, they're asleep. Contrast right there. 
Guys, I just want to remind you, we are all selfish people. We need to ask the Lord to deal with that selfishness. I'm the first one that says, Lord, start with me. Lord, deal with me. Help me to not be selfish. Paul added in Philippians chapter number 2, Philippians chapter number 2, Paul added this in verse number 5, talking about Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The same attitude, the same mind, the same mindset of Jesus needs to be in us as believers. Philippians chapter number 2, verse number 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That same selfless spirit that was found in Jesus, Fabian, needs to be found in us. That same spirit that was found in Jesus needs to be found in us. We need to deal with the selfishness. We need to ask the Lord to help us. If we're going to make more room for Jesus this Christmas, we must deal with our selfishness and pray the prayer of John the Baptist in John 3.30. He must increase I must decrease. That's really what it comes down to, guys. If we're going to make room for Jesus, we got to get rid of self. we got to get rid of what we want, and we need to make room for God. Just like John the Baptist said, Lord, help me to decrease, help you to increase. And then finally, again, there's so many reasons why people don't make enough room for the Lord in their heart, but The third one I want us to look at is some of us are just full of too many other things. We're full of too many other things. Hey, parents, before you feed your children, you don't let them eat snacks, do you? You don't let them eat candy. Dawn, I'm sure you got some kids, got tons of energy. Santana always wants snacks, don't he? He always wants sugar. He wants whatever. But you don't let him have that. Why? Because you want him to eat the good food. You want him to eat the stuff that you cook, that, that, that good stuff. You don't want him to fill up on junk, right? Guys, it's the same thing spiritually. Some of us don't have enough room for God in our lives because we're so full of other stuff. And here's the thing. Some of that is good stuff. Do You know what? The enemy, if he can't defeat you, and he really can't, you can let him, but, but be wiser than that, he'll settle for distracting you. And I have been distracted more than once. Anybody with me? We've been distracted before. The enemy, if he can't defeat you, and he can't, will settle for distracting you. He'll settle for you filling up on a bunch of good stuff so you have no room for the God stuff. Amen? This Christmas, let's let God show us the difference between the two. Because not all good things are God things. Amen? Not all good things are God things. You see, if the enemy can't defeat you, he'll settle for distracting you with good things. Good things aren't necessarily God things. This can be true for real born-again believers who get so busy doing good things that we forget the God things that we should be doing. 
We get so busy doing the what, we forget the why. You see, friends, we are not saved by works, but by faith in Jesus' work at the cross. As Paul told the church in Ephesus in chapter number 2, chapter number 2 of Ephesians, verse number 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You see, guys, it's not what you do. It's who you are. Amen? And we need to remember that. We need to remember who we are. Let's see this whole point illustrated with the story of two sisters named Mary and Martha. I close with this story in Luke chapter number 10. Luke chapter number 10, we have a pretty amazing story of of Mary and Martha. They are two sisters. They have a brother named Lazarus, and they were very close to Jesus, and they often had him over to the house. And Jesus is coming over, and in verse number 38, we pick up the story, and it says, Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village, talking about Jesus, and a certain woman named Martha received him unto her house. I can only imagine how exciting that is. You have Jesus over to the house. I know when we have people over to the house, Miss Chantel makes the boys pick up. Don't you love that? Or at least close your door, okay? She makes me clean up a little bit, and, 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 and we're tidying things, and, and, you know, that's just for you to come over. Could you imagine if Jesus was coming over? Wow, that would be tough, wouldn't it? Uh, So a lot of things got to get in order when Jesus is coming over. Verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. So put the picture right here. We have Martha getting everything ready, getting all the things in order. And Mary, instead of helping her sister, is just sitting at Jesus' feet. She's just hanging out in Jesus' feet. Verse 40. Martha had enough of this, okay? Can, can you picture you having enough of this? Martha had had enough of this. Because Martha was cumbered about with much serving, and she came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Martha says, I got this figured out. I'm about to take my case to Jesus, and he's going to see it my, my way. Lord, Do you see me, how busy I am, and do you see her? Tell her to come help me. So I'm sure she feels really good about this, because Tracy, this is a no-brainer, okay? I'm doing all this stuff by myself. Mary is just sitting at Jesus' feet. By the way, that's, that's against cultural norms, because the guys were supposed to hang out. The girls were supposed to be busy doing whatever. And Martha is just saying, I'm going to hang out with Jesus. And, and Martha had a real problem with that and said, Lord, tell Mary to help me. Get that girl off. Uh, Stop letting her be lazy. Put her to work. And then Jesus tells her something that some some of you in here need to hear this as well. Because I've learned that in the church, we have a lot more Marthas than we have Marys. Now, we need Marthas, okay? But you need to find a balance, Martha, and be Mary-like at times. Because look what Jesus said. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, you are careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. You see, guys, we can get so caught up in the busyness of Christmas, 
We can get so caught up in the busyness of church work. We can get so caught up in the busyness of family and all the different things that you need to do that we forget to be like Mary and just spend some time at Jesus' feet. Because, guys, when you spend time with Jesus, it changes everything. When you spend time in His presence, it changes everything. When you spend time with Him, everybody else can tell. And can I also tell you, when you don't spend time with Him, we can tell that too. (laughs) We can tell who's been with Jesus. We can tell who hadn't. We can tell who needs to spend a little more time with Jesus. Amen? But Martha didn't get the answer she was looking for. She was like, Jesus, make my sister help me. And he was like, Martha, your sister is doing the best thing right now. You're doing a bunch of good things, but this is a God thing. And guys, I just want to remind us, don't get caught up in the busyness of Christmas. I've heard a quote, and it's so true. Beware of the barrenness of a busy life. Beware of the barrenness of a busy life. You see, it's not what we do, it's who we are. Or rather, it's whose we are. We are children of God who have a heavenly Father who wants us to spend time with Him, who wants us during Christmas season to spend time with Him. If spending intimate time with God is a chore for you, honey eternity is going to be tough for you. (laughs) If spending time with Jesus is a chore and you have a hard time doing it, what are you going to do for all of eternity? Let's remember, especially during this busy Christmas season, to make room for Him in your heart and time for Him in your hectic schedules. As I close and Pastor Tommy comes. You see, guys, these were three simple areas and There could be so very, very many more that can crowd our hearts and our lives and leave so very little room for Jesus and the things of God in our lives. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can make room for Him this Christmas season and your life will never be the same.